At this point in time, we're going to have a, a little shuffle of uh, the logistics, and I'll ask that the two introducers please come forward to the witness table. Judge Jackson, you can take a brief rest from the glare of the spotlight. We're fortunate today to have two distinguished guests introducing Judge Jackson. We will hear from Judge Thomas Griffith, who served as a judge on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of D.C. Circuit from 2005 to 2020, and Professor Lisa Fairfax, who serves as a presidential professor and co-director of the Institute for Law and Economics at the University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School. Judge Griffith, we will start with you. Make sure your microphone is turned on. It's, there's a red button. How's been that? While, been a while since you've been here. So okay. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, I come here today as a retired federal appeals court judge with 15 years of experience on the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. I come here as a jurist appointed by Republican President George W. Bush. And I come here as someone who understands that there are few greater responsibilities under the Constitution than serving as a justice on the United States Supreme Court. It takes a jurist of high character, keen intellect, deep legal knowledge, and broad experience to ensure that the judiciary plays its unique role under the Constitution to uphold the rule of law impartially and not to be, in the words of Justice Stephen Breyer, partisans in robes. Today, I have the high honor to introduce Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, a jurist who has all of those qualities. When President Biden introduced her to the nation a little over three weeks ago, the American people caught their first glimpse of Judge Jackson's character. You may recall that she began her remarks with an expression of her faith in God and her gratitude for this nation, which she rightly observed, is the greatest beacon of hope and democracy the world has ever known. I first met Judge Jackson in 2013 after the Senate had confirmed her nomination to the Federal District Court as a trial judge. Eight years later, she joined the D.C. Circuit as an appellate judge after another Senate confirmation. I've had many opportunities to, to uh, review her work and observe her work over the years as a judge, and on several occasions, I reviewed her decisions on appeal. Although we did not always agree on the outcome the law required, I respected her diligent and careful approach, her deep understanding, and her collegial manner, indispensable traits for success as a justice on the Supreme Court. About her collegial manner, that important feature of the justice's work is often overlooked. Although appointed by different presidents, the justices have genuine fondness and respect for one another. We, we saw some of that in their expressions of admiration and love for Justice Breyer when he announced his retirement. The civil manner in which the justices debate the large and vexing issues before them is vital not only to the success of the Supreme Court, but to the success of our nation. The Constitution requires that of all of us. It goes without saying that civility of debate and respect for the differing views of others are sorely lacking from our public life. Judge Jackson's life has modeled these qualities. Perhaps most important, Judge Jackson is an independent jurist 
who adjudicates based on the facts and the law and not as a partisan. Time and again, she has demonstrated that impartiality on the bench, sometimes ruling in favor of the government, sometimes ruling against the government, sometimes ruling in favor of the individual, sometimes ruling in favor of the corporation. Her rule is simple, follow the law. Now, some think it noteworthy that a former judge appointed by a Republican president would enthusiastically endorse a nomination to the Supreme Court by a Democratic president. That reaction is a measure of the dangerous hyperpartisanship that is seeped into every nook and cranny of our nation's life and against which the framers of the Constitution warned us. There should be nothing unusual about my support for a highly qualified nominee who has demonstrated through her life's work her commitment to the rule of law and an impartial judiciary. My former, former colleagues in the federal judiciary, Michael Ludig, Michael Chertoff, David Levy, and Andrew Guilford, each appointed by Republican presidents and all highly respected judicial conservatives have also voiced their strong support for Judge Jackson's confirmation. There was a time not so long ago when bipartisan support of the president's nomination of a highly qualified jurist was regular order. Antonin Scalia was confirmed by the Senate 98 to nothing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg by a vote of 96 to 3. The rule of law is a fragile possibility in the best of times. Today, it is literally under attack in Ukraine and is threatened around the world and in our own country by autocrats and their sympathizers who give lip service to the rule of law but then work to undermine it at every turn. As Justice Scalia taught us so well for so long, an indispensable, fe indispensable feature of the republic the Constitution created is an independent judiciary of judges who have taken an oath not to a president or a party, but to the American people and to God, that they will be impartial. Judge Katanji Jackson Brown has demonstrated her unwavering commitment to that oath. I applaud this exceptional nomination, which I encourage the Senate to confirm. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. Professor Lisa Fairfax. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Senate Judiciary, my name is Lisa Fairfax. I am a presidential professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania School of Law and co-director of its Institute for Law and Economics. Prior to my academic career, I worked at uh, corporate and securities law at a large law firm. But before that, I was roommate and a very dear friend at Harvard College and Harvard Law School of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, who I am so very honored to introduce to you today and to the American people. Katanji and I met during our first days of college nearly 35 years ago. Those first moments when you wonder if you belong, she's the friend that made sure we all did. A woman of deep faith in God and unyielding love for family, Katanji defines friendship. She's the friend you're immediately drawn to for their outgoing and friendly nature. As our circle of friends grew, she's the one who became the rock for us all. Even though we are the same age, 
She is the role model who makes you believe in what she said. You can do it, and here's how. And she showed us how. By the power of her example of hard work, preparation, and excellence that transforms the seemingly impossible into the achievable. Together, we poured our souls into our studies, graduating college with honors and then doing it all over again when we enrolled and graduated law school with honors. We became sisters and saw each other's families as our own. We both met our husbands when we were students, and we were there for each other as we walked down the aisles, started our legal careers, and eventually our lives as working mothers. My husband, Roger Fairfax, now Dean of American University's Washington College of Law, has described Katanji's impeccable credentials that's distinguished her at every level of her professional career. He also knows her as one of our children's most favorite people in the world. Our college roommate, Nina Simmons, a top corporate lawyer, has described Katanji's unwavering work ethic. She puts her head down and gets it done, even and perhaps especially when no one is watching. Our other college roommate, Antoinette Coakley, a distinguished business law professor, has described Katanji as a coalition builder. We knew early on that she could be anything she chose to be, but also that she seemed destined to be a judge because of her ability to see all sides and render fair and level-headed decisions. But our tight new group of girlfriends also knows that there's so much more to Katanji beyond her brilliant mind. There's her wonderful sense of humor, her gift of storytelling, her heart of gold that always shows up. From the first call you make for advice about your career to the first knock you hear on the door after learning you're diagnosed with cancer, you never have to ask. She is always there. Above all, Katanji is humble enough not to pretend she knows how to have it all. But she does know how to give it her all. And what she gives to her family, her friends, she also gives to the law and to this country. A testament of her character is all the people of different backgrounds and beliefs who understand that essence of Katanji. We've seen that in her endorsements from bipartisan colleagues from the bench and the bar, and from both civil rights leaders and members of law enforcement. And we will see it in the history she will make. I know she is honored and humbled by the significance of this moment, not for what it means for her, but what it means for our amazing country. Confirmation of the idea that America is a place in which all of us can feel a sense of belonging and all of us can reach our fullest potential. While challenging, I would summarize nearly 35 years of friendship in this way. By highlighting Katanji's faith in God and country, her intellectual brilliance, her goodness and grace, and a work ethic that makes her perfectly suited for the serious task of serving on the Supreme Court. It is with tremendous pride, love, and gratitude for her willingness to serve that I introduce to you my dear friend, and an exemplar of the best of America's promise, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Thank you. Thank you both. Professor Fairfax and Judge Griffith, I'm sure that uh, Judge Jackson and her family deeply appreciate your being here today and your kind words. I want to add to the list of introducers, the man sitting behind you, Senator Doug Jones, who has introduced Judge Jackson to many of us 
not uh, for the first time, maybe reintroduced it. But, uh, Doug, thank you for serving uh, in this cause and for helping the President and Judge Jackson. Thank you all three for being with us today. We are now going to move to the next phase of the program, and that is to hear from Judge Jackson. So if we could set up the table. Before you sit down, Judge, I'm going to ask you to take the oath. So... Please raise your right hand. Do you affirm that the testimony you're about to give before the committee will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Let the record reflect that the judge has answered in the affirmative. And having met that requirement, you may now proceed with your remarks. Chairman Durbin. Ranking Member Grassley, and distinguished members of the Judiciary Committee, thank you for convening this hearing and for considering my nomination as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. I am humbled and honored to be here, and I am also truly grateful for the generous introductions that my former judicial colleague, Judge Tom Griffith, and my close friend, Professor Lisa Fairfax, have so graciously provided. I'm also very thankful for the confidence that President Biden has placed in me and for the kindness that he and the First Lady and the Vice President and the Second Gentleman have extended to me and my family. Today will be the fourth time that I've had the honor of appearing before this committee to be considered for confirmation. Over the past three weeks, I have also had the honor of meeting each member of this committee separately. And I've met with 45 senators in total. Your careful attention to my nomination demonstrates your dedication to the crucial role that the Senate plays in this constitutional process, and I thank you. And while I'm on the subject of gratitude, I must also pause to reaffirm my thanks to God, for it is faith that sustains me at this moment. Even prior to today, I can honestly say that my life has been blessed beyond measure. The first of my many blessings is the fact that I was born in this great nation. A little over 50 years ago in September of 1970, Congress had enacted two civil rights acts in the decade before, and like so many who had experienced lawful racial segregation firsthand, my parents, Johnny and Ellery Brown, left their hometown of Miami, Florida, and moved to Washington, D.C. to experience new freedom. When I was born here in Washington, my parents were public school teachers. And to express both pride in their heritage and hope for the future, they gave me an African name, Katanji Onyika, which they were told means lovely one. My parents taught me that unlike the many barriers that they had had to face growing up, my path was clearer so that if I worked hard and I believed in myself in America, 
I could do anything or be anything I wanted to be. Like so many families in this country, they worked long hours and sacrificed to provide their children every opportunity to reach their God-given potential. My parents have been married for almost 54 years, and they're here with me today. I cannot possibly thank them enough for everything they've done for me. I love you, Mom and Dad. My father, in particular, bears responsibility for my interest in the law. When I was four, we moved back to Miami so that he could be a full-time law student, and we lived on the campus of the University of Miami Law School. During those years, my mother pulled double duty, working as the sole breadwinner of our family while also guiding and inspiring four-year-old me. My very earliest memories are of watching my father study. He had his stack of law books on the kitchen table while I sat across from him with my stack of coloring books. My parents also instilled in me and my younger brother, Kataj, the importance of public service. After graduating from Howard University, Kataj started out as a police officer, following two of our uncles. After the September 11th attacks on our country, Kataj volunteered for the Army and eventually became an infantry officer, serving two tours of duty in the Middle East. Kataj is here today, providing his love and support, as always. And speaking of unconditional love, I would like to introduce you to my husband of 25 years, Dr. Patrick Jackson. I have no doubt that without him by my side from the very beginning of this incredible professional journey, none of this would have been possible. We met in college more than three decades ago, and since then, he's been the best husband, father, and friend I could ever imagine. Patrick, I love you. William, Patrick's identical twin brother, is here as well, along with his wonderful wife, Dana. Also here from Park City, Utah, are Patrick's older brother, Gardy, and his wife, Natalie. And last, but certainly not least, my very dear in-laws, the matriarch and patriarch of the Jackson family, Pamela and Gardner Jackson, have traveled here from Boston to be with me today. I'm saving a special moment in this introduction for my daughters, Talia and Layla. Girls, I know it has not been easy as I've tried to navigate the challenges of juggling my career and motherhood. And I fully admit that I did not always get the balance right. But I hope that you've seen that with hard work, determination, and love, it can be done. I am so looking forward to seeing what each of you chooses to do with your amazing lives in this incredible country. I love you so much. There are so many others who are not here today, but whom I need to acknowledge. I have a large extended family on both sides. They are watching from Florida, North Carolina, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, Colorado, and beyond. I also have incredible friends. Three of my college roommates came here today to support me, and I have so many other boosters from Miami Palmetto Senior High School, Harvard undergrad, Harvard Law School, and all throughout my personal and professional life. 
I've also had extraordinary mentors, like my high school debate coach, Fran Berger. May she rest in peace. She invested fully in me, including taking me to Harvard, the first I'd ever really thought of it, to enter a speech competition. Mrs. Berger believed in me, and in turn, I believed in myself. In the category of great mentors, it was also my great good fortune to have had the chance to clerk for three brilliant jurists, U.S. District Judge Patty Saris, U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Bruce Selya, and Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. These extraordinary people were exceptional role models. Justice Breyer, in particular, not only gave me the greatest job that any young lawyer could ever hope to have, but he also exemplifies what it means to be a Supreme Court Justice of the highest level of skill and integrity, civility, and grace. It is extremely humbling to be considered for Justice Breyer's seat, and I know that I could never fill his shoes. But if confirmed, I would hope to carry on his spirit. On the day of his Supreme Court nomination, Justice Breyer said, quote, what is law supposed to do, seen as a whole? It is supposed to allow all people, all people, to live together in a society where they have so many different views, so many different needs, to live together in a way that is more harmonious, that is better, so that they can work productively together, end quote. I could not have said it better myself. Members of this committee, if I am confirmed, I commit to you that I will work productively to support and defend the Constitution and this grand experiment of American democracy that has endured over these past 246 years. I have been a judge for nearly a decade now, and I take that responsibility and my duty to be independent very seriously. I decide cases from a neutral posture. I evaluate the, the facts, and I interpret and apply the law to the facts of the case before me without fear or favor, consistent with my judicial oath. I know that my role as a judge is a limited one, that the Constitution empowers me only to decide cases and controversies that are properly presented. And I know that my judicial role is further constrained by careful adherence to precedent. Now, in preparing for these hearings, you may have read some of my more than 570 written decisions, and you may have also noticed that my opinions tend to be on the long side. That is because I also believe in transparency, that people should know precisely what I think and the basis for my decision. And all of my professional experiences, including my work as a public defender and as a trial judge, 
have instilled in me the importance of having each litigant know that the judge in their case has heard them, whether or not their arguments prevail in court. During this hearing, I hope that you will see how much I love our country and the Constitution and the rights that make us free. I stand on the shoulders of so many who have come before me, including Judge Constance Baker Motley, who was the first African-American woman to be appointed to the federal bench and with whom I share a birthday. And like Judge Motley, I have dedicated my career to ensuring that the words engraved on the front of the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law, are a reality and not just an ideal. Thank you for this historic chance to join the highest court, to work with brilliant colleagues, to inspire future generations, and to ensure liberty and justice for all.